It is a Friday night edition of Locked On Warriors. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. Make sure to follow Locked On Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get podcasts for episodes every day, Monday through Friday. Coming up, we recap the Warriors' win in the second-to-last game of the season and break down Jordan Poole's future as a sixth man and Juan Descano-Anderson's new deal before previewing Sunday's season finale against the Grizzlies. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off on your next order. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am here with Connor Letourneau, the Warriors beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, your friend, and uh, someone who I was just in attendance with uh, in the Warriors' win over the Suns, over the Pelicans, excuse me. The Warriors get a 125 very to 122 win over the Pelicans. Very, very different team uh, after beating the Suns. So, um, big win for the Warriors. No Steph Curry, no Draymond Green, no Andrew Wiggins. Comes down to a uh, game-winning layup. For Jordan Poole, the Warriors gave up a 19-point lead in the fourth quarter. Jordan Poole hits that game winner uh, in with, in the final 30 seconds. He ends up with 38 points on 12 for 22 shooting. Uh, so a big night for him. Uh, but Connor, we are. This was the penultimate game of this weird coronavirus pandemic condensed 72-game season. How are you feeling at this point? I'm feeling I'm feeling kind of reinvigorated to be honest with you. I, I think we kind of hit the the doldrums there for a little bit uh in recent weeks but then over the past i would say two weeks things have really started to heat up again the the warriors have played their best basketball of the season um you can see that they're they're feeling inspired they see the carrot of the playing tournament in the playoffs in front of them and uh it's it's made me uh you know, excited to just watch them every every day because you, you don't know what you're going to see. And tonight was a, a good example because th- this game didn't matter from a standing standpoint. It's, it's, it's going to come down to Sunday's game against Memphis, whether or not they get the eighth spot, which is obviously really important for the play-in tournament. They could have won. They could have lost today. It would not have ultimately really mattered. Uh, but even with those, those three big guys out that you mentioned – they, they played inspired. You know, Jordan Poole leading the way with a career-high 38 points. Michael Mulder chipping in career-high 28. And then Juan Descano-Anderson doing his best Draymond Green impersonation with uh, with close to a triple-double. Nine, um, nine, and, and nine. Like, as close as you could get. I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and so uh, I felt like Jordan did his Steph impression mm-hmm. and and Juan did his Draymond impression. It was, it was, it was a fun game, all in all. And Mulder did his Clay Thompson impression. Yeah. I made the joke in the middle of the game. Now you can rebuild, trade all those guys, save a bunch of money in cap space. I think you're good to go. Uh, you're right. This game was absolutely meaningless. I called it a big win earlier at the top. And, and what I meant by that is not necessarily a big win in regards to the standings. But I, I think in games like this where, look, it was meaningless. There was no pressure, zero stakes. Go out there. Have fun. It was that it was one of those nights, right? And there was no Zion Williamson, no Lonzo Ball, no Brandon Ingram for New Orleans. So this was just a couple of skeleton crews going at it on a Friday night on ESPN, no less. But uh, I, I thought that Jordan Poole having this kind of night was emblematic of his rise in his sophomore year. And I think back to Connor to that that last game that Steph missed against Phoenix right before the All Star break. 
Uh, and Jordan Poole came out and scored 26 points, I believe, in that game as a starter. This yeah. was his seventh start of the season. He just seems to step up when they need him. And he doesn't go out there and go 11 for 16 or whatever and 20 points every single night. But there are a lot of nights where he does. And and Steve Kerr, after the game, talked about how he thinks that Jordan Poole is a sixth man for next year's squad, right? That Clay Thompson's going to come back and you can have Jordan Poole coming off the bench. Uh, we can debate what sixth man really means in the definition of that because I think that's a little bit looser than what it used to be defined as. But your thoughts on Jordan Poole as a sixth man next year, do you think that it's viable for a team that wants to – be where they want to be. I don't, I don't feel comfortable having Jordan entering next season with Jordan Poole as my sixth man. If that's something that he can kind of grow into slowly over the course of next season. Okay. Um, but I would not want to go into next season with the idea of this is definitely my sixth man, because even though he has shown flashes this season tonight, being a great example, he also still has a lot of work to do. Um, he's inconsistent. You know, his overall shooting numbers this season still are not very good. Um, he's shooting 34% from three, uh, around 42% from the field. Um, he has too many turnovers. He's, he, he, I don't think he sees the floor super well at times. But the thing about Jordan Poole, I will say, and you even saw it at times last season, particularly toward the end of last season, he has this wiggle to his game. He has this X factor to him that not every player has, that a lot of players do not have. And um, that makes me really high on his future. I, I believe that he can be, you know, a high-level player in this league. I, you know, if you talked to me early in the season, I would have said I thought his ceiling was like an eighth man in the league. I think now I'm willing to say that he can be – a go-to six man for a long time in the league, maybe even a higher ceiling guy than that. Maybe, you know, a legitimate go-to guy on a starting lineup on some teams. I think he, he has that type of potential. Keep in mind, he's only 21 years old. He has a lot of the intangibles. We, we talk a lot about the work ethic and things like that. Um, but I think the Warriors need to put themselves in a position to have someone who's proven coming in as their six man next season, someone you know, who uh, has a has a track record of success and you know what you're going to get from him on a night-in and night-out basis. That's not Jordan Poole yet, though I think Jordan can become that. He's not there yet. I, I think you can have another – I think you're right. I think you need to get that guy. What they are missing in the rotation is that proven Sean Livingston type of you know what you're getting every single night, right? And – uh, there's a playmaking element. There's a defensive versatility element. Uh, there's certainly a scoring element, but I think that's less important with Jordan Poole doing what he's doing. I think you can have two six men. And that's what I was kind of getting at before the idea of him being the first guy off your bench and playing starters type minutes and being the only guy who's doing that. That doesn't really exist. And I look at a team like Utah, for example, which might be the Warriors best case scenario because, uh, like, like Utah, they have a top 10 player or maybe not top 10, but an elite player in Rudy Gobert. The Warriors have a more elite player in Steph Curry. And then after that, you've got a lot of high-level role players, borderline all-stars, and they're going to need depth, right, if, if this superstar trade doesn't materialize. And you look at Utah, and they've got two six-men, Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles, and both of them are up in the, uh, in the running for six-man of the year. So this idea of, like, hey, he's your six-man, you can have, like, multiple six-men, which sounds ridiculous. It's just, it's just dudes who come off the bench every single night and play the same role every single night, and you just know what to expect. Jordan Poole is a six man, that classic sense, like that Jamal Crawford sense, right? Like where he's going to come in, he's going to get you a bucket 
and that's what you need. And I look at like, I think Jordan Clarkson, the guy that I was talking about before is a really good comp for Jordan Poole. And, but when you have that, you kind of need that other guy that you were talking about, who's a little bit more reliable, a little bit more well-rounded, the Joe Ingles type. Like if the Warriors could get that guy also to pair with Jordan Poole off the bench, then I think that completely changes what that second unit can be. And, and, and it kind of unlocks like a skeleton key, all the, uh, uh, some interesting lineups and things that they can do really quick. Jordan Clarkson compared to Jordan Poole. I think this is maybe Poole's like uh, ceiling. I think actually he could probably be better than Jordan Clarkson, which Jordan Clarkson, a lot of people think he's going to be six. Clarkson's man of the year this had year. a career year. Yeah. Um, you know, so, he, he, the stock, his stock wasn't super high just a year ago. Uh, he had kind of an up and down career bounce among a few teams. Always had the potential, especially offensively, but I think he's in a perfect situation in Utah. Yeah. Um, and I think it is partly because of, you know, how he kind of compliments someone like Joe Ingles. Uh, they come in around the same time every game and, yeah. and they bring different things to the table. Clarkson's a little bit more of a slasher type, whereas Ingles is a three-point shooter. Um, and you saw just the other night when when the Warriors played Utah, you saw that. I mean, Clarkson had 29 points in the in the second half of that game, 41 points in the game, to will Utah from a major deficit to almost winning that game. Um, I think that Poole has that in him. Um, yeah, but- what, what, what Clarkson brings to the table for Utah is Utah and Golden State are similar again because all the other things I was talking about before, but Quinn Snyder is very much a system guy, right? Like he has his Spursian type of offense in place. And Steve Kerr has his motion heavy offense in place and that, and Jordan Poole has come to thrive in that, right? The quick decisions, all the things that we've been talking about all year with him, but like he's got like an X factor to him. Right. And sometimes you need a guy who can go Rover a little bit. And that's what Jordan Clarkson brings to Utah, right? Like it's just a guy who, you know what, the system is not working tonight. Go get us a bucket. And there are times where Jordan Poole can do that. Like, look, the system's not working tonight. Go get us a bucket. I want to go to some stats really quick. Cause these are interesting. Per 36 minutes, Jordan Clarkson versus Jordan Poole. So here's Clarkson's stats. 24.5 points per game per 36 minutes, 42% shooting overall, 34% from three-point range, uh, 3.3 assists per game. That is almost identical to Jordan Poole. 21.6 points per game per 36 minutes, like Jordan Clarkson, 42% shooting overall. Like Jordan Clarkson, 34% shooting from three-point range. Uh, He's he's actually uh, averaging an assist more for 36 minutes than Jordan Clarkson or, or, or close to it. Uh, and I actually think Jordan Poole has better playmaking upside than Clarkson does. Clarkson very much is only a scorer where I think Poole has a little, ha, definitely has a playmaking uh, aspect to his game. But if you're talking about just straight comps right now, Jordan Poole is doing a pretty good Jordan Clarkson impression. Yeah. I, I, I honestly thought Clarkson was shooting better than that. Um, but you're right. They're, they're very similar players and I, you got to keep in mind, Poole's only 21 years old. Yeah. He's only 21 years old. He is further along at 21 years old right now than a lot of all-star caliber guys were when they were 21. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, but you never know. I mean, that could be in his future. And he has that X factor to his game that, that not a lot of players have. And the thing that's been fun about watching his development is – feels like every few months you're seeing something new in his game. You're seeing him grow in real time. Um, he's having these like mini breakthroughs uh, all the time. And so that's, I think, very exciting for the Warriors because 
he is there's so much more to his game than they even understood and realized when they drafted him. When they drafted him, they just thought catch and shoot guy because that's what he was at Michigan. In in retrospect, he was very limited at Michigan in that offense with Bayline, who we saw what Bayline did in the NBA. Um, and so I, I think that we're going to continue to see things in his game that uh, are going to reveal itself. And I'm very curious to see, like, can Poole be – I don't want to say the backup point guard, but can he effectively be the backup point guard? Yeah. I, you know look, I, mean? I think I think backup point guards are overrated, you know, because it's – it's so rare to have a backup like you to be a backup point guard. You have to be such a plus on offense that you make up for all the things that point guards are bad at on defense, just because of their size typically. Right. And that was what was so interesting about Sean Livingston was he was a kind of a traditional point guard in his role, but he was so long that he was a plus on defense. It's rare that a point guard is a plus on defense. So unless you're basically Steph Curry, right. Or, or a guy like Jordan Clarkson, who's such a plus on offense. And that's sort of where Jordan Poole's coming along. I think he can be, but you also need these other guys, right? And, and you mentioned like a Joe Ingles. And, and if you can get a well-rounded player, like, like Joe Ingles might be Utah's best pick and roll ball handler, right? If you've got another guy like that off the bench and you combine that with a guy who we're going to talk about here in a minute, Juan Descano Anderson, you've got a lot of different playmakers, right? You don't need one guy to run the other. Steph Curry doesn't do that for the Warriors, right? Like Draymond Green runs offense too, so – uh, I think you can get it from a lot of different spots. So if Jordan Poole is your backup point guard or whatever, and you have a couple other guys, I think that's the makings of a bench that is stronger than the bench that we saw for most of this season and starts to reflect kind of this bench that's emerged uh, in the second half of this year with Wiseman and Ubre out and stuff like that. But I mentioned Juan Descano Anderson, uh, and he just signed a new deal with the Warriors on Thursday, which is an absolute bargain, a steal, for Golden State. We'll talk about that next, but first, let's talk about Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is making the playoff push, and the NHL season and Major League Baseball are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code locked on. Again, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only when you use that promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Connor, I want to talk about this Grizzlies game coming up on Sunday. Uh, it is by uh, all intents and purposes the Warriors' first playoff game of the season. Before we get to that, Juan Descano-Anderson is a deal. Uh, locked him in uh, on a standard contract, prorated minimum for the rest of this season, and he's guaranteed at $1.7 million, the minimum, uh, for next season. And then after that, he's a restricted free agent, and, and the Warriors have his rights. And, and, and you know, if, if he, he, he keeps on this trajectory, I think what, you're, what we've seen out of uh, Juan this year is a guy who is probably part of Golden State's long-term plans. Uh, your thoughts on Juan Descano Anderson's season and how he fits into uh, the roster next season? Because that's ultimately the biggest question. I've been on the Warriors beat for – this is my fifth season on the Warriors beat. I'm not sure there is a single individual storyline that I have enjoyed more than Juan Descano Anderson this season. Um and it's, it's because of all the things that are already out there, you know, the, the local guy, you know, from East Oakland, 
coming from the the scrap heap and the G League, slowly knocking on the door, getting into the rotation. But what makes it really special to me is this guy is for real as a player. Like you remember a couple years ago, there it was a really good feel good storyline with with Quinn Cook, and there's been a couple of these these kind of things that have have surfaced. Uh, Alfonso McKinney. None of these guys were nearly as good and as helpful of rotation players as Juan Descano Anderson is. I was never convinced that any of those guys would ever be like an actual future piece of the franchise. Whereas Juan is such a unique special player in what he brings to the table. And what has stood out to me the most is his passing ability. I mean, he really is like a mini Draymond in terms of how he sees the floor, um, the decisions he makes, um, Screens that he sets for Steph. I mean, his timing that he's developed with Steph is impeccable. So quickly. The dribble handoff. He has just a remarkable feel for the game Mm -hmm. uh, on both ends of the floor. Uh, Defensively, he's really good at switching at the right time, rotating fully, doing all – you know, his help side defense is really solid. Mm -hmm. Um, And he he does all the little things that are intrinsic to winning. I mean, to me, I I call him an accessory to winning because every time – he is on the floor, they tend to be better. And, you know, even when he was starting games at center this season, this guy is six foot six and he was holding his own as a center. Uh, You know, I think what also makes him really special is just his overall versatility because Steve loves to mix and match with rotations and with lineups. I mean, and it really opens up his options when he has someone like, Juan, who he can plug into like a playmaking role or like a center role or a power forward role. Yeah, he could play three through three through five. And what unlocked it with Juan was that three point shot, right? And he worked with Ron Adams extensively to get that three point shot going. And that he's he's hitting it at over a forty percent clip. It's a small sample size, size, but whatever. I don't. He's hitting it. It's and a that's season long sample size at this point. But I know sure. he hasn't taken a ton of threes. It hasn't been a ton of threes, but he's yeah. just been consistent with it. And he's not all that streaky. Like he has his spots in the corner and he hits those shots, and that's all you need from him. But the part of the reason part of the reason why he's been effective is because he's not taking a lot of threes, because mm-hmm. he's taking good threes. All yeah. most of the threes he's taking are wide open. And that's part of what I like about him is he 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 takes the right shots, he plays within himself. You know, most of his points either come on wide open jumpers or, you know basically you know wide open driving lands where yeah, he, he, he picks his spots break. i feel he, he kind of reminds me of like a card player right like when he's taking that three he's taking it when he's holding like a jack 10 right like he's he's not taking that three when he's holding seven three you know and 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 so like there's just the odds of it hitting are better and that's good because he's not just limited to that you mentioned all the playmaking and stuff like if he were just passive and just waiting for the good the open shots then you have a problem. Then you're Jacob Evans. Like, I don't even know what you are, but it, it but because he could do all this stuff with the playmaking and, and the, the fake dribble handoffs and the timing and just finishing with these dunks and things. And he's so insanely long. I, I was on our friend's podcast, Bram's podcast, Warriors huddle. Uh, and, and they got a mailbag question and we were talking about like, is it, is it too much to say he's the new Andre Godala? Like, do, is that, is that superfluous? Is that, is that, is that just, is that hyperbole? I'm I'm at the point where I'm like I don't think it is. I'm not saying he is Andre Guadala. He he's more like Draymond than he is Andre. Well, what he does to me, what he does like Andre, you're right. 
But what he could do like Andre did is he just unlocks these lineups. And I, what we've seen is the death lineup, this new version of the death lineup, which is Steph, Wiggins, Draymond, Juan Descano-Anderson, and a shooter. And right now that shooter is Michael Mulder, maybe Jordan Poole, maybe Damian Lee. Next year it'll be Clay, right? Yeah. And so um, I, that's, that's the death lineup. But I remember having this conversation with Bob Myers before the season asking him about what he thought about Eric Paschal's role. And he basically said, if Eric Pascal can get that three-point shot to fall, we could play him with Draymond in the front court, and that'll be basically our closing lineup. With those with, before Clay's Achilles injury, it was those three plus uh, Pascal and Draymond. And Juan Descano-Anderson has basically usurped Eric Pascal, and he is the small ball forward of the, yeah, of the future. Juan's emergence combined with Eric's struggles this season have made Eric borderline irrelevant to this team. It's played played for his first uh, played his first game Friday night since April second with that hip injury. So and he um, struggled understandably. Understandably, yeah, he had a big tip in late that retook the lead for the Warriors. He did. He did but... So I think Pascal. I don't want to get too off track. I do think that he's under contract next year. He'll have an opportunity. I still think that he's just ultimately like a change of pace center, which it's not bad. But um, well, bottom line with with Juan, yeah, I think that when they're building out this roster for next season and free agency and the draft and all that, they need to keep in mind that Juan needs to be a priority. Like they need to make sure they carve out his role so that they don't bring in anyone that's going to duplicate what he does in any way. They need to make sure that he is in a position to go into next season and average at least 25 minutes a night. So here's that guy. He is, he, I, I could see him as a sixth, seventh man, on a contending team. Um, I think he has, I think he'd help any team in this league. Um, what he brings can't be taught. His feel for the game and his energy are skills that are preternatural. And the best interview on the team somehow, oh, like yeah. wait, like just, just, I almost tried a press conference yesterday with him over zoom. It was maybe the best press conference I've ever been a part of in that, uh, there was zero skips. Like every quote was a banger. Zero skips. He almost cried twice. I was like, I love this guy. I, I, I don't play for the Warriors, but I'll run. I would run through a wall for one. It's kind of interesting. Like I am a fan. I'm a stan. Of and one, so I'm ready. I, I, you know, I did a bigger story earlier this season. Tracy, you wrote, you wrote the definitive Wanda Scano Anderson piece. And so, any of my listeners who have not, just Google Connor Laterno Wanda Scano Anderson. And just find the find the piece with like the really cool layout and just read that thing. It is the definitive. And there have been a couple of I'm going to shout you out here, Connor. There have been a couple of other profiles written by other people that claim to be the definitive profile on Juan Escano Anderson. And I will tell you, nothing has been as good as what you wrote. Well, I appreciate that. But in that story, it gets into everything he went through as a kid. Uh, he was homeless in East Oakland bounced around in different relatives houses sometimes had to sleep in his mom's car uh you know he was he had to transfer schools because a kid tried to stab him when he was in third grade like i mean he has been through so much in his life yeah and it just uh i mean it just it makes at the end of the day we're reporters we're objective journalists but there is a human element to all this and you can't help but get caught up and just how special this moment is for him and his yeah. family. And, um, but as you touched upon earlier, like as cool as it was that he signed this guaranteed contract and I, I know it's life-changing money for him and his family, 
he could be if he hit the open market in free agency, he he'd get way more money. I but think even, I he, teams would want him. I think he would have been available at the mid level exception, and I think he I think he slashed his earning power by fifty percent by signing this deal now, and this is something I'd be interested to get a players union representative's perspective on because I think the two-way contract is obviously more beneficial than harmful, right? For players like Juan and Damian Lee and, and these guys at the Warriors have mind over the, the years. But um, the fact that you can get promoted mid season and sign a minimum contract where, you know, Steph had a deadline for his extension, that deadline passed. They can't talk about it until it reopens at the start of next, the next calendar year, right? The next uh, NBA calendar season. Um, same thing with Giannis, right? And, and there's, there's, a certain, uh, um, there's a certain element of, hey, I'm in the middle of the season. I'm in the locker room. These are my boys. We're in the playoff hunt. Like I, I ride with these guys. Like these are my, and, and there's an emotional aspect of it that I think hurts guys like in one situation where you're like, hey, give me the money. You know, I'm playing every single night. I just got 35 stitches put on the top of my head. Give me the money. I want the security. And and and, and I think when you're with your guys, you're like, look, I'm willing to table some money if it means that I can to be here with my guys. But then when these players vacation in the offseason, they're off in Barbados over the summer. They're not in the locker room anymore. Suddenly money becomes a little bit more important to them because they're realizing how much money they're spending on their vacation in Barbados. And I think if oh, one like providing for their entire extended family. Sure. And I think if Juan was in this offseason and not and he was not allowed to be converted to a to a standard roster spot in the middle of the year, if it was more like the other extension rules, and he was in the offseason and forced to at least take a look at the open market, he would have recognized, hey, there's three million dollars a year out there, four million dollars a year out there. Like, but he signed for one point seven million dollars on a one year guarantee. I, I'm not I think that he's gonna be in this league for a while. But I do think that ultimately, by him signing this deal now, he probably slashed his earning power in the immediate term by at least 50%. And look, it's life-changing money. He's never made one a million dollars in his life. This is a guy who a couple of years ago was making $3,000 a month. So this is a big deal for him. But I just, I would like to get a perspective of the players union on this because I don't think that they'd be tremendously happy with seeing the deal that Juan Descano Anderson got. Understanding like that had much more... Uh, potential. It feels like the Warriors took advantage of a situation and that they knew that he and I, I look at the business. So of course you can't blame them for doing that. Uh especially when they're as deep into the luxury tax as they are. But they knew that he has personal ties here, that he loves being the Oakland guy and being able to drive to his mom's house mom's house after games. Uh and all that. And and that is ultimately probably gonna win out over, you know, an extra an extra yeah. mill or two for him. But, uh, you know, the Warriors were very smart in how they structured this contract. Uh, they could have easily given him a three-year, but it actually behooved them to give him the two-year because this way they're going to get his bird rights. They, they, he'll be a restricted free agent uh, after next season, so the Warriors will have every right to match any offer, offer sheet. And if things continue to go down the trajectory they're going on, uh, I, would, I would think he's – he would be brought back long term. So, because um, yeah, you could bring the up Warriors are in the driver's seat here, uh, which is where they want to be when they have a guy like this who they really believe could be a fundamental piece. Of right. It, so. 
And and no doubt. I mean, when you're paying Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, what you're paying them, you need contracts like ones, right? You need contract like like a minimum guy like Kent Bazemore. Like these are the guys you need to sort of fill out your rotation and keep costs low. It's a it's a great deal for the Warriors, no doubt about it. Juan seems very happy. I, I don't mean to kind of poo-poo this by saying that he like that he could have made more. Like, I don't. I, everybody seems really happy with it. Uh, it was just something that I thought was worth bringing up. We talk about Wanda Scott and Anderson and his long-term fit too. I want to get to that here in a moment because we've hit now on these two guys, Jordan Poole and Wanda Scott and Anderson. More than anything, those are the two revelations of the season. Perhaps the biggest developments of the season is uh, those two players' emergences. But uh, we'll talk about that here in a minute. First, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. But unlike most protein bars, it actually tastes good and it's good for you. Built Bar is great for health-conscious men and women, whether you want to maintain or lose weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great if you're on a keto or another low-carb diet, and they have nine different flavors available now, and they're always creating and releasing new exciting flavors. Built Bar has been with us for a long time. I've been eating Built Bars for a long time, usually in the late afternoon between lunch and dinner. Connor, I brought one to the game today just in case I needed a snack at halftime. I didn't because I was a fat boy today and had a burrito before the game, so no extra snacks were needed. But Built Bars are a good way to give me the boost that I need to finish up work late in the day or on game days. So like I said, Built Bar has been friends of the show for almost a year now. We appreciate the partnership that we've built with them. So support the show by supporting those who support us. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you're going to get 15% off on your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, so to tie a bow on, on sort of the six-man conversation, I mentioned there you can have multiple six-men. Is Juan Descano Anderson and Jordan Poole their two six men next year? Because you you hit you you were absolutely right. You have to figure out a role for for Juan. These are your 25 minutes or whatever it's going to be every single night. And these are when this is when we're going to play you. And we you and you approach it the same way you approached Andre Godala, Sean Livingston. I don't know if Jordan Poole, maybe because he's a little hit or miss with the scoring every once in a while, maybe he's less Iguodala, less Livingston, and more Leandro Barbosa, right? And maybe he's yeah, ultimately right like now, an eighth guy. Right now, I think I've heard that comparison, and I think it's accurate. I think right now he is Leandro Barbosa. And look, Leandro Barbosa was a really helpful player for a championship team. When he left, Uh, they tried to replace him, and they haven't found a replacement until now. Right, right. Uh, But I believe he played like 18 to 20 minutes a game. And Mm -hmm. I I would not have – right now, I would not have uh, Jordan Poole as high on my – hierarchy as I, as, as I do Juan Descano Anderson. Um, yeah. And I think when people hear six man, they think of scores uh, mm-hmm. because the people who win six man of the year tend to be scores like the Lou Williams of the world and the, and the Jamal Crawford's of the world. But um, right now, if, if the roster doesn't change drastically next season of the guys who we know are going to be on the team next season, Juan's the first guy I want off the bench. I think if Juan's your sixth or seventh man, whatever, you bring in another proven vet, well-rounded player who could be good defensively and do these things that you need. That's your your other sixth or seventh man. Jordan Poole is your eighth guy, and then you have another, and then probably James Wiseman coming off the bench or Kevon Looney, whoever that other center is, is your ninth guy, and you have a nine-man rotation. And then you've got ten through fifteen or other bit players. You know, if Damian Lee comes back, Michael Mulder, like specialists like that, you probably need another another big man off the bench. Eric Paschal has your change of pace. Now, like these guys that are not playing every single night, but they'll have their moments over the course of the season. I think that's the way to go. Easier said than done. 
Uh, but before we get to that, the Warriors have to play a game on Sunday against the Grizzlies for all intents and purposes. This is their first playoff game, Connor. If they win this, they get the eighth seed. If they don't win this game, then they drop into that 9-10 game. Uh, with that eighth seed, you have two games to win one game and advance to the playoffs. And that 9-10 game, you have to win two games in order to advance to the playoffs. So this is very important. And the Warriors rested their main guys on Friday night in preparation for this game. Memphis also rested their main guys Friday night against in their game against the Kings in preparation for this game. This is going to be exciting. It's going to be awesome. This is what the playing tournament was created for. And it's all about, uh, what are the Warriors? What do you think about the Warriors chances against Memphis? Because guys like John Morant and Jonas Valanciunas have given them problems in the past. Well, let me just say one thing really quick. I'm really warming up to the plan because for, for this, not to like for this reason, because this is the most exciting regular season game that I think maybe I've, I've covered at least in the past couple years uh, and just because it has real stakes. It's a, basically a playoff game before the playoffs and it's, it's really fun and that's the whole point. And I think now that we're actually here and on the verge of it, I'm seeing what the, the league was thinking and I'm thinking, yes, let's do it. You know, let's I already know that I like it. Um, uh, like LeBron – Mark Cuban, I'm sorry. It's not really working out. You know what? Make the regular. If you have a problem with it, be one of the top six seeds. I'm sorry. Like, that's that's just the way it is. I don't think that it's the, the argument that, hey, you play 82 games and then it comes down to this and you're devaluing the other 82 games. Whatever. I'm having more fun. There's a ton of interest in these at this part of the season where usually we're just waiting for the playoffs to start. There is so much more interest in this last week where – in the past, teams are just resting their players. They can't do that anymore. This stuff matters. Um, and now, and so, yeah, it's just, it's at the end of the day, it's just really entertaining. And that's what this is all about. So I have no problem with it. The reason why March Madness is like the most fun sporting event yeah. in, in the world, even though college basketball is hit or miss as, a, as, a, as an entity in, its, right. in itself. But the tournament is so freaking fun because it's single elimination. And I think it's smart to try to incorporate some of that into the NBA. Um, this game, though, this Memphis game. This Memphis um, game is going to be really interesting. Uh, I I do need to do a little bit more research on the, the specific matchups because when they played earlier in the season, it was diluted. Uh, Steph Curry wasn't in that game. I think Jordan Poole went off on that game. That was actually the one game the Warriors have won this season without Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, but – this Grizzlies team is much different. They have Jaron Jackson now, healthy, playing, big minutes. Um, but to me, it's all about a couple of things with them. John Morant is on one. And then they have a really good bench. Like, they, they're kind of like Utah-esque in that they have, like, these really good role guys who may don't, maybe don't put up crazy numbers, but they're just really smart. And they know how to play basketball. And uh, the Memphis identity – no matter who their coach is, no matter who's on their roster, has always been kind of like a grinded-out defensive style. And so I think it's going to be harder for the Warriors than people want to realize. I think everyone's kind of just assuming the Warriors are going to win, and I, I don't think that should be an assumption at all. No, Memphis is 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, the same record that the Warriors are in their last 10 games. The Warriors just extended their winning streak to five games, their longest of the season. Memphis has won five straight games. Both teams are 38 and 33. These teams over the last are, are identical in that way. And then you look over the last 10 games, the Warriors are fourth in the league in net rating over the last 10 games. Memphis is eighth. Okay. 
Uh, over the last 10 games, the Warriors have the fifth best defense in the league in defensive rating. The Grizzlies are eighth. In offense, the Warriors are 10th. The Grizzlies are 13th. Like, they are very close in all these things. These are two legitimately good teams that are both deserving of that number eight seed equally, in my mind. One team has Steph Curry, and one team is really young and has a ton of depth and has Dylan Brooks, who is like maybe the like low like the 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 uh the like the most low-key strong dude in the NBA. Like that guy just like tears through walls in the middle of basketball games. And that's the kind of guy that could give Steph problems if if you have him chasing him around. Grayson Allen uh is a pest, like you know, the whole tripping scandal and at Duke and all that stuff. Like that guy just like gets into you in a way that can bother players. And then John Morant is that kind of like wiggly, squirmy point guard that that could give Steph fits and, and, and has given the Warriors problems in the past. And that, and you know, like I, I mentioned, Valanchunas is the guy, just a big body who's getting, it feels like there was that game last year where he, he went off like 20 points and 20 rebounds or something like that. Yeah. He, he, he gives that, he, he causes he might, concerns for them. He might be with the most underrated center in the league. I love him. Um, yeah. He's, he's a matchup nightmare. He's just kind of like an old school, like physical, specimen in the paint right. who's just gonna throw dunks all over you and block shots and do his thing and uh and they know, can get into different lineups well with what they have and memphis can get into different lineups so when the warriors go small with draymond and, and jta in that front court they could do brandon clark and jaron jackson jr they could do jaron jackson jr and dylan brooks at power forward like they could do weird stuff with their lineups and there's enough shooting on the floor kyle anderson i haven't mentioned him he's having a good year for them um, this yeah, is going to be a tough game. Brandon Clark is great defensively. Uh, Desmond Bain, their rookie, has actually been really yeah. nice. Um, they're also well coached. I've been really pleasantly surprised with 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 Jenkins, their their coach, who I didn't know anything about when they hired him, but mm-hmm. he's done a really good job. Um, I think you're seeing, you know, through him that, and and, and through. Uh, what what Fisdale did with the Knicks, like maybe Fisdale was a little overrated in terms of what he did with Memphis. Um, so, yeah, no, it's going to be a fun game. And uh, honestly, it's the difference between the eighth spot and the ninth spot is enormous because, yes. I mean, eighth spot, you only have to win one game out of two opportunities. And the, and the ninth spot, you have to win two in a row to get into the first round. And I mean – that's that's actually a pretty huge swing when you think about it. When you're facing good teams, uh, that's that's enormous. So if we're looking at the way it is, so if gold, I still will give Golden State a slight edge in this game because it's played at Chase Center, which and and that it's against a Western Conference team, but it's against like an East Coast Western Conference team. So that trip from Memphis is not a great one, right? So they have to make, they rested their guys. That'll be helpful, but so did the Warriors, and the Warriors have Steph. And they have Draymond and these guys know how to handle these moments. And the Grizzlies are young and as deep as they are and as much potential as they have and as well as they've been playing, this is a playoff game. And these guys don't have playoff experience and the Warriors main guys do in Draymond and Steph. And so I will give the edge right now to the Warriors. If they win that game, then they will play the Lakers on what is it? Wednesday. What, what was the timeline here? It was, it's Wednesday. That Wednesday. First- so for the first Western Conference playing game, so they would play the Lakers on Wednesday. It's feel like an eternity. Yeah. Tuesday off. Um, the Warriors. Okay, so if they, be, I'm not, I don't want to get into that matchup. That's another podcast for another time. Uh, 
but if they win that game, then they'll just go into the playoffs as a seven seed. If they lose that game, then they could very well end up playing Memphis again in, in, if, if Memphis beats San Antonio in the 9-10 game, which I think Memphis absolutely would. They're much better than the Spurs. So if this is, a, this is a matchup that we could see, that we will see on Sunday and then could see again on Friday if the Warriors end up playing uh, the winner of that 9-10 game in a second game for that playing tournament. So this is, we're, there's a lot kind of writing on this game on Sunday, a lot of takeaways that we'll have. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be seriously fascinating to watch, and I'm I'm very I'm very excited. Uh, I haven't been this excited for a regular season NBA game, maybe yeah. ever. Uh, <laughs> like I, the last one that comes to mind was like the cupcake game, and that was for the Kevin Durant cupcake game, and that was for very different reasons. But very different reasons, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's gonna, and I honestly like. The Grizzlies are like my league pass team. Like, mm-hmm. like when I'm like just bored at my house and I want to turn on a game, like I'll, I'll try to find a, a a Grizzlies game just because I like how they play and I I think that John Morant is one of the most fun play, players to watch in the NBA. Well, you're not gonna have to watch on League Pass. You and I will be there on Sunday, twelve thirty start, right? So uh, early game. And uh, we'll have a bunch of stuff for you after that here on Locked on Warriors. Connor, we'll have a bunch of stuff for you on that at the San Francisco Chronicle. You can follow him on Twitter at con underscore cron. Uh, remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on Warriors wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and say nice things about the show. Send your comments and questions to me on Twitter at WC Goldberg or email them to wgoldberg at bayarianewsgroup.com. Now get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Connor, for joining me. And thanks to all for listening.